0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is
1: Paul Gillieri.
0: Paul, I want to say hello to some of our new friends. We've had a bevy of new listeners and followers in the last uh, week or so. So hello to all of you out there who are listening for the first time. For those veterans out there, those savvy veterans, um, Hi. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs> Welcome back.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's so great to have the opportunity just to continue the... Uh, I, I, the word I'm going to use is outreach, but it, mm. it's not like we're doing this great humanitarian uh, mitzvah. You know what I'm saying? for yourself, Paul. <laughs> here
0: we here. are. I'm out of here kissing hands and shaking babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we... we This is this is the last episode before. uh, Well, no, this is the last episode before the last episode before Thanksgiving. So I'm the uh, dude playing the dude. Yeah, that thing. There you go. Um, Disguised as
1: another dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tropic Thunder for all those who are very confused. So, um, before we get into what this episode is going to be about, um, like I said, at the very Feed top the of the report that, yeah, what, what, yeah what, you just, we're going. what you just said that people may not have understood because we were talking over each other. Say it again. Feed the algorithm. Yes. Yes. Spotify, Apple, Google, SoundCloud. I don't know. Whoever has podcasts, they have algorithms. Carrier pigeon. Somebody yeah.
1: out there is delivering you this fine podcast. We are only possible because you care enough to listen. And in order to facilitate that care and bring us all to a better place, we need rate, review, subscribe.
0: It just makes the world a better place. That's true. Like hands across America. <laughs> it, it has to, it must. Yeah, okay. Must. Enough of this nonsense. Um, next week, not this week, but next week in front of Thanksgiving, we're going to have a lovely episode and it's gonna be another installment of <clears throat> retracking the album. Oh god Tune in oh. next week to find out which album that is. There's only mm-hmm. s- I think we're halfway through the catalog at this point. We are. But this week it's um there's a couple of topics I want to hit, and then we're gonna uh, of of noteworthiness. Some it's kind of topical. Um, yep. and one of those is gonna feed into a, a big what if we've had kind of sitting in the back burner for a long time and waiting mm-hmm. for. A good moment to, to break it out. Um, so we'll get there in a minute. But first, I want to, I can't believe it's been a year, Paul, since the last EBRP uh show live stream event to help uh fund research for, for EB. Um, many of you will remember last year we were uh in, in the middle of second, third, long first. Um, stay at home measures And we uh, we watched A lovely live stream including many Fabulous guests and two new songs From our friend Ed Vedder mm-hmm. And a pre-show From our friends in Black Circle That was fabulous mm-hmm. And uh, this year there's another one It's coming right around the bend It's like, what's today? It's Thursday?
1: And it's almost like time stopped it's, Back in uh, the spring of 2020 So bizarre isn't it? Yeah
0: and here we are again. So it's a year later, again. Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, 9 or 10 p.m. Rio de Janeiro. I, I think it's five hours now with the, with the time change. All right, but, get,
1: um, get your chips out on the table. What, let, 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 let's let's play some bets here. What are they going to play? What are we going to hear?
0: I don't know. I well,
1: let's let's review the last time they mm-hmm. did this last year for this lovely, worthy cause. Uh, Ed played. Say hi. Mm-hmm. And matter of time. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got a, a charming piano ballad on the part of Ed, seeing him in a new light. By the way, as the yeah. first song he had ever composed on a piano like that, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, and then "Say Hi" was a. Uh, I, I didn't think it was as strong of a composition, but it it was a lovely ode to uh, the 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 young man with um with this particular affliction that that this entire benefit is 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 designed to try to help yeah counter and uh i i think that we're likely to hear another song from ed and i would argue a cover if i had to if if i were a betting man which i will be for now but if i had to take requests Uh what would i do well here's what i would do i would say play buckle up I'm saying that with a straight face. Oh, it. <laughs> no, 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 there's more. Okay, I'd say play that one, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd love to hear them pull off one of those uh, those little masterpieces that Stone said ended up all over the cutting room floor when oh, they finally put you Utah are in. asking way too much. I right? am asking way too much. I know. I know. Well, uh, but it's in like all the- likelihood, it, it, it's probably uh, a cover and uh, or two.
0: To be honest with you, you know, it is billed as Pearl Jam, not Eddie. So, I'm inclined mm-hmm. to think that they're going to play a full band song. Um, I would have to imagine that it'd be a new song if they were Hence, play. Buckle Up. Buckle Up would, would fit the bill, maybe all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but a cover does seem quite possible. What cover, though? What cover? Uh, it have?
1: would probably be a cover of a song they haven't covered before, something they've been preparing hmm. for this let's put it this way if they were on tour like hey, a, how about full, the real me can well, you see um, the real me if, if they were full-scale tour right now mm-hmm. every tour they always bust out kind of a new slate are you drinking a white russian what is that yeah, that's right you 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 are drinking a white, <laughs> the, the dude, dude buys, buys. my friend okay <laughs> well <laughs> So uh, for those of you listening who can't see Jason right now, I'm assuming he's back in the bathroom again <laughs> and drinking a white Russian. to the booth. But uh, the point here is that in all likelihood, we would get a, a new slate of coverage. Here. We'd get some, some standard favorites, you know, rocking the free world and things like that. But I have to imagine there'd be one or two tracks that would work their way into the uh, rotation here. Mm-hmm. And so whatever song that they maybe have been thinking about, it's been percolating in the ether as they gear up for what will hopefully be a, a much larger touring uh, slate in, in the near future, if, if we're fortunate. Uh, I got to imagine that's the cover that they've been getting ready to play for, for this benefit here. Well so we will, that's where I'm pushing my chips in on. Now, okay. don't ask me what the cover is. I mean, it's, it's worth millions of song options. I couldn't possibly there, speculate.
0: There are many. Uh, I, I want to say it's got to be something new. But if it's not... And it's a Pearl Jam song. I don't know. That's what you come to this podcast for, for me to say, I don't know. Yeah. But I think it'll be a new song. I think, do you think they play more than one?
1: Yeah. I think they'll play a cover and a new song.
0: Okay. Well, let's all find out together. Thursday night, November 18th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Uh, 2 p.m. Honolulu. And... um, (laughs) Uh, don't forget, you can donate directly at give.ebresearch.org. Okay, let's move on to our next bit of news, which was actually, you know, as far as re-releases are concerned, this was somewhat significant. How about Vault number one on vinyl?
1: Uh, this is very significant. Now, the last time we saw this show come out, you had to go see a film to get your hands on it, if I recall, mm. right? So uh, I think this is this is an opportunity to hear... A seminal show in the the live Pearl Jam catalog, but one specifically that is is from the the golden era of their music, if you want to call it that. It's an electric performance, legendary performance from Pearl Jam. And uh, to get it on vinyl, I think uh, it it seems to piggyback off what they did with the Unplugged show, where they said, "Okay, we're going to start taking some of these shows, just just certain ones, and we're going to re-release them on vinyl just to capitalize, not exploit, capitalize, not exploit, to capitalize on uh, this, this renaissance of vinyl that so many avid audiophiles have embraced these days.
0: Well, don't you actually have a couple of these on vinyl? Or no, am I mistaken?
1: Well, if you bought the box set, the Pearl Jam box sets, you got uh, Drop in the Park on vinyl. That's true. You,
0: uh, right, we got that one. But we didn't um, get the vaults. I mean, I no. We we you didn't. and I both have those. I mean, I'm saying I feel like you have one of these vault releases on vinyl. No, am I mistaken? I uh, have drop in the park, and I have uh, what was the Boston one? Were they Orpheum? Yeah, those are just Orpheon. within the um, within the the box but not one of the actual vault releases.
1: Those are the only ones that I have on vinyl. Yeah,
0: the I don't have any of the vault releases on vinyl, which I feel kind of bad about uh, being a PJ nerd like most of you are. Um, now, am I listening to vinyl all the time? No, I'm not, but I am a bit of a a collector. But, um, I did order it, I did order the, the, release. you'll actually
1: get this one for Christmas.
0: I might. Oh, I might. the irony. Yeah. The,
1: uh, <laughs> Pearl Term release that shows up on Christmas. Well,
0: if it's like the, the, uh, the 10 Club schedule, we'll see it in 2024. Yes. <laughs> uh, anybody who has been a 10 Club member for a long time finds that funny and depressing all at the same time yeah mm-hmm. so we, sw- hey, we we kid we kid we we say all this with love well, if they keep doing this then i'll I'll have to keep giving them my money because I missed out on the first run of of those uh releases, and so here I am uh ready to uh leave my money to pearl Jam again 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 and again uh the main topic, the main topic let's get into it. So, in the last week, ten days, we have been, as a music community, dealing with or um, thinking about uh, something very tragic in Travis Scott's Astro World um, event, where, as of this recording, now ten people have lost their lives uh it was a show at the stadium nrg stadium where the houston texans play football uh i believe eight passed away at the event itself and then two later two uh injuries sustained one of which is a nine-year-old boy and uh for many people who are over the age of let's say 25 or 30 uh It's not the first time you've seen this and, um, it's a little concerning for those of us who are Pearl jam fans, because we saw our favorite band really buckle and kind of alter their course when it kind of happened to them. Uh, so I kind of want to go through what happened here. Um, and maybe what's different, what's similar to Pearl Jam and Roskilde Guild in, uh, in Denmark in 2000. Uh, and then maybe what we can learn from that and, and what would have happened then, we have our what if segment, what would have happened if this had not happened to Pearl Jam in 2000? So I think that American festivals, this is my opinion, by the way, um, have not really heeded the safety and security precautions that were enacted in Europe since Ross killed i don't know if that means i don't know if that's because of how uh american the american government at large favors or at least a, a big segment that's been in charge the last 21 years uh favors deregulation i don't know if that's anything to do with it i don't know if American quote unquote freedom uh or you know you, you can call it arrogant and ignorant promoters, uh, perhaps t- Travis Scott are all to blame in some varying degrees of um of culpability. Travis has apparently offered to pay for the victim's funerals as well as a month of therapy for anyone who wants it that attended this event plus. Uh, I read that everyone in attendance will receive a refund. But uh, let me pose a question to you, my friend. I'll pose two questions to you. A, is that enough? And B, is that just throwing money at the problem after the fact?
1: What will happen in the next five minutes has nothing to do with music. But it is important. Imagine I'm your friend. And you must step back so as not to hurt me. You all have friends up front. I will now count to three and you all take three steps back. All those who agree say yes now. That's what Eddie Vetter said about 45 minutes into that set at Roscoe back in uh, 2000 was it two. Two two 2000, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, 21 years ago, 11 people die. But the artist who was standing on the stage at the time was very consciously aware of the dangers presented by the fans and their behavior and their excitement and, and the frenzy that it was being generated by the concert goers. And so this was a conscious attempt to try to mitigate the situation to not, you know, have the crowd disperse as much as it is bring some civility to the situation. If you look at Travis Scott, and you look at uh, this particular show, um, this particular performer has a history of, I don't want to say inciting this type of behavior in concert goers, but he definitely has, uh, and there, there's, it's documented, he has a history of, of, of ref- referencing this unhinged kind of anarchy at shows through his lyrics and, and during performances. So... <clears throat> You know, we'll get to the what if down the road here on the show. But I think that these are two very different responses, both in the moment and after the fact. So in the moment, you have one artist who or one band. I mean, I keep referring to to Eddie as a singular voice for the band. But the reality is that the band made the choice to say, hey, we're going to stop playing music. This this is out of control. As soon as they heard. As soon as they were alerted that something had gone awry. Like it's step back. Let's just bring some order to this situation. This is not why everybody came here today. Nobody came to this show to be hurt. Uh, whereas you have another artist who takes this as an opportunity at the time or has taken it, I should say, to push um, this, I don't want to call it an anarchist agenda, but it, it, it's very much in the vein of, of, riding this wave of emotion as opposed to trying to govern it and and i know you hear the word government and and maybe that elicits a cringe on the behalf of some folks especially in light of of the comments that you made opening this conversation but the reality is that there needed to be some governance in this moment there needed to be a measured voice of reason that said hey hold on a second this is this 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 is music you know what i'm saying What, what are we what cause are we marching to right now and and in in service of what is all of this energy being directed at each other? It it just seems to me that uh, the response needed to be. <sighs> I think it's more reactive than proactive, and that I think is the problem. Do you think it's actually ne- reactive?
0: I mean, well, okay. well, well yeah, I mean, two reactions, it's purely right? reactive. There's the, the immediate I'm reaction. I'm going to play for the,
1: the well, sure. The then immediate the reaction is not good, but then even the delayed reaction is purely reactive. It's, it's all designed towards trying to pay reparations for what happened, as opposed to forward thinking and saying, hey, listen, yes, this is important. People do, should get a refund. Those who, who need um, uh, mental health deserve the opportunity to do so without having to fork over money out of their own pocket to do it. It was your performance that facilitated this. However, I'd like to think that there, there's an avenue here to pursue a greater level of Awareness, and more importantly, to try and affect change. When you have the stage, metaphorically speaking and literally speaking, you have an opportunity to affect millions of people. You have an opportunity to to affect. I don't want to call it policy because I don't know if it necessarily extends this far. But I mean, since we're talking Pearl Jam, this is a band that literally took a stance against Ticketmaster. I mean, you know what I'm saying. They tried to literally change the way that we hear concerts and pay for them whether or not they were successful or not is besides the point If they saw the opportunity that they had and the platform that they were given. And they tried to be responsible about that. Whether you agree with the, their position or not, that's how they saw that here's an artist who is in a similar situation. He has an opportunity to look at this tragic disaster and ask himself the question, moving forward, what can I do to prevent this kind of thing from happening at somebody else's show? Not just mine, but somebody else's show. How do we change the culture of going to music and losing ourselves in that atmosphere without literally losing our lives in the process? So for me, it's not enough, but I do think it's a step in the right direction. It just, it reeks of reactive as opposed to
0: proactive. Well, and the reason why I questioned when you said the word reactive, because I was wondering in which context you were talking about, because in the moment, in the moment, There was no reaction. In fact, in the moment, uh, Travis played for 37 more minutes after the venue declared it a mass casualty event. Yeah. And as you alluded to, we mentioned before, he has a history of egging on violence in his crowds. It's not unlike, and I don't know why I didn't think of this until you were speaking just a moment ago. It's not unlike Woodstock 99. Yeah. and if you've i don't know if people you guys get trampled in the mud i don't know if you guys have seen well that was that was actually 94 99 oh right, right, as, right as much mud as there was uh just people being really fucking pissed off and destroying shit and being very aggro about it it was and i, and I will tell you this i was there as a 17 year old i was in rome new york for what's Act 99 I can tell you at the time I was oblivious to what was happening. Cause I was just there trying to enjoy some bands that I wanted to see, but watching the documentary back on HBO uh, a couple months ago, I was like, wow, I missed a whole perspective of what this thing was about. And it culminated in, in, in night three with the chili peppers and, and the bonfires and the whole thing just kind of blowing up. But night two, when Limp Bizkit came out, and there was a lot of moshing and there was, you know, there was a quarter million people there yeah. and there's no, there was no barricades to separate the general admission like they do now. Um, and yet the security was asking Fred Durst to please calm the crowd down, stop egging them on, stop asking them to get crazy and mosh and go nuts. And he was making it worse. He ended up, I think uh, surfing on a piece of broken plywood and did the exact opposite in purposefully. And it reminds me of that. I, I can't say for certain that Travis was doing that. I can't say for certain that he knew what was happening, but there are many accounts that that show that he knew that there was an ambulance trying to drive through a massive crowd, that something must have been amiss. People were, were climbing camera towers and flagging down the the camera people to try and get somebody's attention that shit was going down the 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 age that we live in this is 99 this is in 2000 it's not even 2010 in germany when i think 20 people lost their lives at the love festival
1: yeah
0: this is 2021 everybody's got a cell phone everybody can can send videos to the internet immediately and the shit that we saw Was terrifying. And how nobody could have seen that, that worked for that event, Live Nation promoted that event, they must have known what was going on and couldn't get to Travis Scott fast enough, or they did and he didn't care. And this is the difference. Okay. He didn't do anything about it. He can claim ignorance, he can claim not. We've seen a video of him telling an entire crowd to beat the shit out of somebody because they tried stealing his shoe. So, and like, was that six years ago? Yeah. So a completely different reaction. I don't not, I don't want to be here and, and completely just demean and, and rail on Travis Scott, because that's not what the point of this show is. But the point is is that we have not gone forward as a musical society where in, in popular popular music, I should say, where there was a, a band who had a very similar event and had the compassion to do something, to stop something that could have gotten way, way worse. People, it was raining in Denmark. People were, I I read that the, all the boots were sold out and so the people were using plastic bags on their shoes to, to traverse the terrain. And then there was just a mud slick and then just a pile of people at a certain point. And by the way, Live Nation uh, has seen over 750 injuries and over 200 deaths in the last 15 years of their shows. Hmm. So there's that. Can you that. imagine that?
1: Just you, you,
0: <laughs> you're, you're going just to a that, concert huh?
1: and you never come home. I mean, it's, it's, an,
0: it's, it's, it's really insane. hard
1: to, to wrap your head around that.
0: And I've been, like I said, I've, I was at World ninety I've been in other crowds where in other pits where I felt like, oh man, this is nuts. I mean, I literally went to a thrice show two weeks ago here in, here in LA the crowd was getting, I managed to get to the very front, but people were going nuts. This is a thrice show. I know they got my legs broken during a corn set in 2000. I've been in that. I know what it's like. It's fucking scary. And you got to crowd surf your way out of that just to get out of that mess. Imagine this. And you have one band 21 years ago that says, no, 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 no. And to this day, they haven't, they stop shows immediately if something's even remotely awry. And I guess yeah. we can kind of fold this into the what if now we've seen how they reacted. Yeah. The thing that actually happened, a song was created out of it that was only played the nine times for those nine dead. Yeah. All right. And so the question then is knowing all this, seeing, seeing how things have transpired, being reminded because every news article about World in the last 10 days has referenced Pearl Jam and Roskilde. What have we not learned, and what would be different with music in general and with Pearl Jam if Roskilde didn't happen? I, I will ask you that.
1: Well, uh, first and foremost, I think Wright Act, the complexity of that album will be very different. I, I, it's hard to look at Wright Act and not see the indelible effect that Roskilde had on them. That's number one. Number two, the evolution of the song alive, played live, Mm -hmm. would not be the same. I think that song went from um, not being dated, but very much rooted in its its original aura. And it evolved post-Ross Guild into this celebratory, unifying anthem that brought an entire just swarming crowd of Pearl Jam fans. just droves of people who came to see the show together in unison, all chanting at the end, we're all still alive. So it became a celebration of life. And, uh, whereas before it, it, it had always been that to a degree, but it was more of like, a, um, you know, I, I don't know how I'm still alive, you know, I hurt, but mm-hmm. I'm still alive. <laughs> and it was almost like, uh, the lesser of two evils to a degree. Whereas now it, it, it's almost as though the lyrics have this superficial, um, plated meaning, but beneath that, the undertones and the underpinnings of the track send a very different signal. It's literally taken on a brand new life of its yeah. own. Yeah. I don't think that happens obviously without Ross skill. Um, so I think that, that definitely is a big one. I believe that there, uh, their sensitivity to this type of behavior in a crowd would be different. I think it would, it would be more received with, with frustration. Like, come on guys, like what the hell, you know, get your act together. We came here to make music. And it, I mean, there's, there's rants. There are, uh, yeah, there's lots of, of bootlegs out there where you can get snippets of Eddie in between songs, kind of losing it on a crowd for just
0: ridiculous. Well, much. even in the mid nineties, I remember, yeah, the, yeah, I think, I uh, the, the, some of the 96 the quarter shows, incident, around, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, like quarters incident. There, there are times where they stopped the show. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's not
1: unprecedented for Pearl Jam to stop a show. What, what is unprecedented is the, the swiftness that they will do so now, because there is a level of precaution that is a warranted, uh, B, rooted in the traumatizing effect of being the band that had this happen during one of your shows. 21 years ago so i think that their response would be uh i don't want to call it less cautious but i don't think there would be the same level of urgency obviously behind the manner in which they will so quickly and swiftly stop a show in order to address what they perceive or are being told is is some something getting out of hand in the crowd um those are the 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 two biggest ones. I also think that there was not just a life affirming moment, but there was also an existential moment for them as a band. And and I, I can't help but wonder how that moment affected them on a personal level and how that shaped the songwriting that came out of each member of the band from that point forward, both individually and collectively as a band. I don't know if every album we, I mean, in some ways you see the ripple effect of an event like that through, through many subsequent albums. So it's hard for me to think about an album like Riot Act, an album like the self-titled Pearl Jam album in 2006. It, it, and even, you know, I'll go as far as, as, uh, as Backspacer, for us not to think about whether or not the dynamics of those albums would be just just ever so slightly different. Just even if it's just in the nuance, the subtleties, if that event hadn't happened, I don't know how, how we wouldn't have different albums if that was the case. I'm not saying thematically they'd be entirely different concepts, but I do believe that the, the songwriting would, would forever be altered, in the same way that because Ross Guild happened, the songwriting was forever altered.
0: People often talk about uh, the band's first, let's say, decade, up until binaural, and then the last 21 years being markedly different um, to two sides to a coin, uh, whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, I don't think it, it's um, any coincidence that the the pin there that, that they would have turned on is, is Ross killed.
1: What's this mortality? I mean, everything post- yeah neural, it's like Lane Staley dies. I mean, you know, you had Roscoe. There's so many, this, this more, this focus on mortality. They, they had to face a level of mortality at an age that quite frankly, people shouldn't have to do. You know what I'm not that early.
0: Yeah. It was, by the way, one of the things, one of the reasons why I read that the World thing didn't get stopped immediately. Cause the, the, there are shows in, in Europe now where, uh, if if shit's going down and someone's really, really hurt the the stadium or the arena will cut power to the music and put all the lights on, and somebody will get to the singer or whoever and make them explain what's going on. Uh, that did not happen at this event because the promoters were were worried that a riot would ensue. What does that say about a twenty twenty one pop music artist audience and a 2000 pop music artist audience. And Uh,
1: I I mean, that's, you know, that's, we're talking social commentary here. I I think that's a, that's a, that's a lot to unpack. I mean, that that's that 's a week 's worth of discussion and and, and, and i 'm not shying away from it or uh you know deflecting because i don 't want to answer the question. I think that uh there is a certain level of apathy that we have seen evolve in each generation and but at the same time it's it's somehow counterbalanced with this extreme sense of urgency as well i mean if you take a look at uh climate change and the thousands of protesters that swarmed Glasgow in Scotland this past week to voice their opinion, to say, you know what? There has never been a generation that will be more impacted by climate change than ours, right? That's what these young people were saying in the streets. This is, none of you will ever face the the implications and ramifications of extreme climate change more than we will. So there's that great, great sense of urgency, but the, Polarization between the level of apathy and the level of just activism. It's an extreme divide. And I'm sure that there are older generations that would say, Yeah, Paul, you should take a look at if you, you should take a look at the sixties. Or yeah. others will say, you know, those of us who are old enough to remember the nineties where you had a a lot of um, social injustice uh, marches and protests and and things against the race riots in the early 90s and, uh, uh, you know, uh, pro-choice versus pro-life. All these debates have been happening for a while. I think uh, the difference is that this particular generation has the ability to reach each other and to organize in ways that we never did. And it's through the advances of technology. They also have not only a way to more fruitfully express themselves, but quite frankly, if I'm being honest, a way to hide behind those, uh, you know, avatars, if you will, that we didn't always have the ability to do. And so it's, it's a really complex, nuanced question that you just asked. And there are so many layers to it and angles that we could, we could answer it from that. It, it, I think you'd be doing it an injustice
0: to try and sit here and, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to bring it up only because I I didn't want us to go through this and not acknowledge it at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think anybody listens to this show to look for <laughs> social commentary as much uh, as they are like right, but bands' music apply to social commentary. But it's it's an interesting thing because th- th- there are some and I'll get back onto what if in a second here, but um I was just reminded of of this point that I wanted to make, is some people have compared the the energy um shall we say of a travis scott show to that of a metal show and i can tell you i've been to a lot of metal shows in my day and there is a ton of moshing a ton of energy uh, a ton of for lack of a better term violence but every time i've been inside those arenas uh, if somebody has gotten smashed to the ground People immediately pick them back up. I have never not seen that. People are very, very cool. The the, the violence is is are you are you trying to say it's controlled chaos? It is controlled chaos. Like people are are out to are out to let out that that angry energy in a in a healthy way together. But if somebody does drop, I have never seen people ignore them. People get picked up right back again, and for whatever reason there were only apparently a smattering of those that have that kind of compassion, even at a, even at a middle show at this Astro world event. And it, it makes me sad to think about that. That was that they were the minority amongst people that just either didn't notice or didn't care and just wanted to rock out to Travis Scott and circling back to what would happen if this kind of thing hadn't happened at Roskilde. um, I think you hit the nail on the head about Riot Act. I think it's a completely different album. I think the tour is different. And I I think the band perhaps goes down a completely different path, if not for that kind of cold, hard awakening and realization of their mortality, as you mentioned. I think it's very similar to how people um, felt after 9-11, actually. Yeah. Um, There's a humility and a sincerity we felt um, after 9-11, uh, toward our fellow man that I think has stuck with the generation that, that remembers that. I think I, I was 19. I think you were 20 when that happens. And so with a pro jam fan or the music fan to open it up even more who remembers that uh, it's, there is a, a baseline of compassion and humility that we have because we, we remember that. And I'm going to venture to guess that many people going to World are under the age of 25 and, or maybe even 30. And so if you were, if you were 30 going to this show, you were nine when that happened and you probably don't have, probably have a very Disney version of what that, is, of what that was. Um, your parents shielded you from, from the hard realities. I, I, I'm I'm making generalizations, of course, not to say that everybody was like that, but you can imagine that people that would go to this kind of show, this kind of audience hasn't had to think about that humility or that, that, that tragedy before maybe this changes it for them, but for Pearl Jam and for their audience, I think that there was definitely a a shift. And as someone who went to um, that garden show in 2003, which was the first show after nine 11, you could feel that I wasn't in, I, I didn't go to any of the European shows that were directly preceded. I'm sorry, directly succeeded Roskill. I didn't get to go to any of the binaural tour. That's a whole other story, which I'm mad about. Um, so I didn't get to see that happen, but I did get to see the band come back to New York for the first time since nine 11. And there was definitely a sense of compassion, humility that I think is lacking in, in many artists these days. And it's a well, shame.
1: That, well, that's true. But if you think about the demographic, I mean, you and I are a generation where when Columbine happened, it was. It sent shockwaves.
2: So mm-hmm.
1: You know, we couldn't believe that this just happened. I mean, it, it was a, an arresting moment for us. The generation that is attending this Travis Scott show, they grew up in a world where a school shooting is a lot more common than it should be. It, it's part. It, it's part of the of normalcy. There's a normalcy to it. It's uh, and, and and it's a narrative that they feel powerless to control
0: or change, and so it's possible that th- that these people aren't necessarily not compassionate it's just that they're numb yeah, that's and, where and, i was going and to, with this. into into i don't want to say lash out but to um, emote in such a violent way it might be their way of feeling something yeah but at the same time not recognizing what's outside of their bubble not by right. fault of their own necessarily but also possibly um which is a whole again I opened up that pandora's box about <laughs> the generations and here we go again so I'm not going to really go down that path but for pearl gem you hit the nail on the head Riot act is different i think it's a it's a parallel path thing we're a completely different um timeline away and i think the biggest or the most obvious uh marker is is alive um it's it might be seen as a I don't know a once it's a story that doesn't really have any topical significance It's a story that was mm-hmm. written a long time ago it's great music but hey yeah it'll probably close the main set every now and again and maybe be in an encore but it's not like this seminal show closer before a rocket in the free world or yellow y- but it's like it's not that song mm-hmm. because it hasn't changed its meaning at all I think you're right agreed um I don't think we need to go on too much longer. Um there's there's a lot happening here. If I think if we had on STIP or we had an, a, a panel, we could definitely go on for another hour and a half.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure.
0: <laughs> but okay. I don't I don't want to belabor it too much. Uh, I think many of you will probably chime in with your thoughts on uh on the dichotomy of these two terrible events. And I'm curious what you guys think Progen would have done if they didn't have this event. Uh, so you know, let us know in the comments. Let us know on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, we'll be sure to uh, react and tow. But anyways, th- thanks for listening to a uh, a more serious conversation. I don't like having them because it, I like to have fun. But uh, I think it was well. Uh, we initially
1: had, our plan was to talk about how out of control the Grammy really is. We just decided it's very she- out of control. It's out of- I
0: won't stand for it. <laughs> That's the worst possible. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, that was the moment we lost all our new lists. Oh man, that, that's the <laughs> Fonzie jump in the shark moment. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, you know what? Let's put a pin there, and uh, we can continue conversating about this. Is that a word? Conversating, conversing. Uh, uh, it's better than resignate.
2: Resignate,
0: <laughs> my love. Um, last week's episode. Go check that out. Let's move on though to our lyric of the week. Ball lyric this week comes from the self titled Pearl Jam and it's come back.
2: If I don't
0: fall apart,
2: will my memory stay clear? So you had to go, and I had to remain here, but the strain is there.
0: come back it's uh it's apropos a little bit for the episode, and it's uh it's not terribly uh dynamic shall we say it's we we know what this is about, but the question then is how does it make you feel and how do you apply because everyone's everyone unfortunately is able to apply this to their own lives in some capacity for sure I mean the song
1: it seems to run antithesis to letting go. Uh, you know, the last two lines here, there must be an open door for you to come back. Um, I don't, I, mean, I, I know what this feels like, you know, to, 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 to have something so far away, but for it to feel so close. And it's not that that person or that desire is so close. It, it's, it's, it's more wanting something you can't have and so it's this this desire that allows you to feel connected to something that's not there whether it be a person or a goal or whatever it is and it's the want that makes it feel close because you want it there obviously so it's it's really about perception and uh the id and the ego in a lot of ways but i i think that this particular track here it's my it's arguably my favorite behind you are on, uh, I'm sorry, it, it is my favorite on this album. Um, I was confusing with Riot Act because we just had that conversation, but Comeback is definitely my favorite song right here on the Avocado album.
0: Ahead that, of Inside uh, Job?
1: It is, just slightly ahead of Inside Job. I'm um, a wow. huge Inside Job fan. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's something very different about Comeback. Uh, it's got that beautiful bluesy sound to it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, in a lot of ways, it, it's, it's a sister song to Black in a lot of ways, which is my favorite Pearl Jam song. So for me, it was kind of a, a more mature and evolved version of Black. Uh, it's also very reminiscent of the kind of music Led Zeppelin would make. I'm a big yeah. Zeppelin fan. Uh, I think with, with a set of lyrics like this, it's, it's more about being able to empathize with the, the, the feeling of wanting what you can't have anymore because it's gone. And that's very relatable, and we could argue about whether or not it's as compelling or poignant as the type of writing that we talked about in last week's episode, where we discussed some of Mike's songwriting and, and this idea of, of reflection being a higher level of critical thinking and how perhaps that actually is a, a, a greater demonstration of, of songwriting from a lyrical standpoint than, than just simply writing about a feeling. However, if you write about a feeling and you do so in a salient way, which is what I think we have here, I think it can still be very poignant and effective, and I think this, this song is about yearning, and it's beautifully done, and I, I love the maturation process of, of the sound behind the words that we see, at least in terms of of the dichotomy of a song like Black from Pearl Jam's first album, to a song like "Comeback," which was Pearl Jam's self-titled album, and therefore, in many regards, uh, some would argue that the, the rebirth of the band as we know it today.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I don't think it's terribly deep, but it's how you apply mm. it, um, and just, it's it's the angle, right? Because everyone yeah. there's a million songs about death, um, and there's many ways to process death, uh, and this one it tackles. Um, it tackles one and the relationships of the person who died and what it means to the subject, I think is, is an interesting thing here. There's almost a bit of a selfishness to it. Like what am I going to do without you? Not it's so sad that you're gone. What I- am I going to do? Exactly. Exactly. is basically in a state of denial, or at least just entered the stage of acceptance, but only begrudgingly, which is an interesting way to look at death. Right. Um, well, we're idea, programmed
1: to resist it at all costs. You
0: know? Exactly. Exactly. This idea that the subject can feel something even tangentially resembling their lost loved one is so essential that they'll hold on to it for dear life, regardless of how real or significant it is. They're not just going to question it, just grasp and hold on. And there, there must be an open door for you to come back. There must be. The sheer desperation. That maybe the lost one could find its way back, when obviously it cannot, is is interesting. And and this is what a true love loss does to someone: they become irrational, they 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 seek out any way to to make it make sense to them. And I think why this song is so good, besides the music being badass, is it is it is the most I think personal way to feel about a lost loved one it's it's we all I, th- I think so many of us will immediately turn inside and say how it affects me and i don't th- i don't think many of us think about that when we think about songs that are about death it's it's, it's usually just like this person died and it's sad you know even, hell, the, the the song's sad other side it, it's not necessarily about how it makes that person feel whereas this is the maybe one of the more honest ways of speaking about a lost loved one is it's I am alone. You left me. I feel, I feel like shit. Like the dead person can't emote anything. I mean, yeah, I guess you could write a song about the dead person's point of view, but that'd be a little weird. Um, I just find it interesting that it's such a, it's an honest way to, to, to have this conversation, to be selfish about it because we, we are selfish about it in the moment. We, we cry because that person left us. So I, I think it's um, it's a it's a fine it, it's it's a simplistic way that I think we kind of don't realize is a very common way to view death, and I think they did a good job um, at communicating that. Agreed. Let's go to our live cut of the week. Ready. cut my friend we're going back 15 years or so where are we going santa barbara july 2006 up the road from us to a degree up the road from us i actually had never been to that venue before have you i have not no it's a small amphitheater santa barbara is a small city if you don't know and this was towards the Towards the end, this is this is between the shows that you saw and I saw. I think we actually went here for our life wasted, best live cut. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's check it out. July thirteenth, two thousand six, Santa Barbara. This one is really cool for a similar reason, and you can tell me if you agree to why we chose Life Wasted from this particular show. And it's the intimacy. And there's there's a if if any song could be better performed or, or sound better or come across better when it sounds intimate, it's a song about why did this person leave me? Yeah. You know? So I think this is a good choice. I mean, obviously the band performs admirably um, and sings it. Well, the whole the whole band plays it very well. It comes down to the, as they say in sports, the intangibles, the unmeasurables, how does yeah. it make you feel? Well, I'm curious about how it made you feel. If you were there, I'd love to hear, hear that if you went to the show, but just listening to it, there's an immediacy.
1: There is. And this, this, and an in intimacy,
0: this particular
1: show here, You know at at some point you get a really great bootleg where ed just sounds really smooth he just sounds dialed in and the lyric and the delivery the lyrics pardon me and the delivery are very very strong and there's an assertiveness to the delivery and ed tells a story earlier in this set about how johnny Ramone was saying how the band had done really well with these these teen death tracks Songs like uh, Jeremy, obviously, and, uh, and eventually Last Kiss, the big single in the late '90s, the cover that they had, and uh, they play Last Kiss, and then they play Come Back, and then that's followed into followed by Black. So this this yeah. <laughs> this the having that that feeling of of Johnny Ramone telling you, you know, this is one of your idols telling you what you do well, you know. Uh, Bill James, a great baseball writer, he wrote in uh, his book, Moneyball, the Moneyball book. He wrote about how great baseball teams focus on what ball players can do, not what they can't. Mm. And then they try to maximize what they can do. Right. And so here's Johnny Ramone. Instead of saying, Hey, you know, you guys, you never play this or uh you guys should try doing that, he says, You know, you guys have done really well with this. And Pearl Jam and Eddie, you know, the, the, they, they take a step back and just kind of let that sit and marinate for a little bit. And I thought it was fascinating to have that, I don't want to call it this uh, existential dilemma or, or reflection going on, on stage in real time, but what it definitely is, is a band and a set list that's being, or I'm sorry, a set list that's being created, not a band that's been created, but a set list that's being created with that feedback in mind. And so for Ed to kind of share something that was said to him that clearly influenced the set list I thought was a fascinating foray into the psychology of what goes into the way he builds these things. And what a lovely trifecta that it's last kiss come back and, and black. And I, I think that if, if you're looking for context to wrap and envelope this song in, this is the context you would want to inform the type of performance that we get here. I just think it's a sublime performance.
0: And and what a venue to do that in to have that to have that told to you um, about these kinds of songs. There you go, guys. Uh, that's the episode for the week. Um, again, I, like I said earlier, next week will be the last episode before American Thanksgiving, and we'll be doing a week And I always revel in these episodes. Haven't done one since ten a few months back. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm not going to tip what it's going to be, but. Um, It's going to be good. It's going to be about life. Does that give it away at all? Life is good. Life is good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, gang. Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks for following us on the social media channel. Thanks for commenting and chatting with us. And uh, and thanks for subscribing and and rating the show and all that good stuff. So until next week when we retract one of your favorite albums of all time, you've been listening to... The State of Love and Trust.